Welcome to Safety Help with Tony Collins. Join him to learn how to improve workplace safety to be legally compliant, win more contracts and increase profits. Hi listeners and welcome back. This podcast is actually part of a series I have produced that explains how to set up your own safety system. The audio is taken from a video training course which is available for free from my website www.safetyhub.co.nz but you know I know some people like the podcast format which is probably you know why you're listening now but if you do prefer video or even want to buy the product that goes with the course it's all on the website and the details are there but let's get into this particular chapter right away. In the previous chapter we worked through hazard identification and found all the hazards within your workplace Now what we need to do is take those and determine whether they're significant and what we're going to do about them. This is going to be called hazard assessment. We need to do this separately from hazard identification because the timescales are different. You can do hazard ID fairly quickly, but when it comes to the assessment, it may take weeks, months, and even years to put the controls in place. And also, we want to keep it separate because you really need a team of people to go through the hazard assessment. It can be dangerous if if an individual goes ahead and tries to come up with their own controls because they may not understand the full picture. So what you need to do is assemble a team of people who are going to work through the hazard IDs that you've made previously. These people uh, should include your health and safety reps or committee members. It should include someone from management because they know the resource or money pressure that is coming from the management side. It should also include someone from the shop floor or who uses the equipment or knows, understands the process that you're looking at. The law requires all hazards to be identified as we've talked about, even if they're not significant. There is a danger that if you jump to the step I'm talking about now, you're going to miss out on some hazards. So that's why we do separate them into hazard ID and then this part, hazard assessment. And also, as assessment assessment may take some time, it is important that we prioritise the hazards that we've identified. You know, we, we need to deal with the urgent ones immediately. So the part of the hazard assessment process is to actually prioritise how we're going to deal in what order with the hazards that you've identified. So, assuming you've completed the hazard ID separately, the law now requires us to annotate on the hazard ID uh, hazard register whether they are significant or not. And unfortunately, it's it's a little more detailed than just sort of thinking to yourself, is it significant? And ticking or putting across. There is a process we need to work through. The first part of that process is to know what a significant hazard is. You can't annotate yes or no if you don't know what it is. So here is the definition. Just pause the video and have a look. Under those definitions, we need to also define other terms like serious harm. That's been defined for you. And once again, here it is. There's talk about updating the definition of serious harm. But this is how it stands at the moment. So the keys to sort of understanding when you're looking at a hazard from your hazard ID, which you've put onto your hazard register template, 
The key then are the words potential or actual. So let's look at the words actual and potential. Actual obviously means has this hazard actually ever caused any serious harm. And I'll give you an example. Farmers use ATVs or all-terrain vehicles in their day-to-day work. And let's say the farmer annotated on the hazard register ATVs. Now he's trying to work out whether it's a significant hazard. It doesn't take too much research to find out that ATVs are causing a lot of uh, serious harm injuries, including uh, killing people in New Zealand. So quite simply, he would tick, yes, it is a significant hazard. The word potential um, can be a little bit more confusing. Um, Potential is all about probability or risk, and I talked about risk before with a coffee cup. Me holding a cup of coffee is probably not a a high-risk situation with the hazard being the hot cup of coffee. If I put it on a table, it's probably a lower risk, but if I said the table is in the kindergarten, the risk goes up again. So, you know, the, the nature of the hazard doesn't change, but the risk does depending on the context. So that can get all a little confusing when we're just trying to find out, is it a significant hazard or not? What you need to do is just say, does it have the potential to cause harm? It doesn't matter if it's a one in a hundred or a one in a million. Let me go back to the ATV example again with the farmer. The farmer, Farmer Joe, uses the ATV one day per year and the rest of the time it's parked in the shed. The Another farmer uses the ATV eight hours a day, 365 days a year. Now, they both are exposed to the same hazard, but the risk is obviously a lot lower for the farmer only using it one day per year. But for this definition of trying to determine whether it's a significant hazard, it doesn't matter what sort of probability is involved. Does it have the potential? Yes, it does, even if it's one day a week or one day per year. So that farmer would tick, yes, it is a significant hazard. Now, we deal with the the risk a little bit down track because obviously the farmer who's using it more often has sort of more urgency to deal with that with that risk. But in terms of defining whether it's a significant hazard or not, it's quite simple. It's actually proven to be a hazard or it has the potential, whether one in a billion or one in a hundred. So having covered off on these terms and this concept of actual or potential cause of harm, now you're looking at your hazard ID and you're going, well, can this hurt me? And that can be a little tricky to find because, you know, with health and safety, safety is usually more apparent. Things happen to you, um, you know, you're hit by something or you see something or you damage equipment. Health effects are a little more difficult to find. They could be work-induced cancers or noise-induced hearing loss or things that take longer to manifest. I heard a really good definition of health and safety. Safety is all about making sure you get home at the end of the day and health is allowing you to have a healthy retirement. So what we need to do is find a mechanism to working out whether this thing's going to actually hurt you or not. The first step is to look at the hazard information which is available for the agent of harm. Generally, you, you will know if a hazard in the physical category is significant or not, you know, getting cut or hit by an object. But if you're unsure, you can Google it. Look at the Department of Labor or ACC for specific information on a hazard. So let's take the noise example. 
In your hazard ID form, the team have written down noise as a hazard, and you have transferred it to the hazard register. Now we have to determine whether it's significant hazard or not, and how do we do that? What noise level can actually harm an employee? Is the noise in the workplace a long, continuous background noise like in a factory, or just a peak noise, say at an airport? By searching online, you will find there is a New Zealand approved code of practice which says during an eight-hour shift, staff are not allowed to be exposed to more than 85 dB continuous or a peak noise of 140 dB. So your team here are sitting in the office with this information, and they let's say they're positive that you do not exceed those noise levels. However, for it to be identified, someone's actually raised it as an issue. This is where the line between hazard management and good management practice of listening to your workers and encouraging input may in fact make it worthwhile for you to assume it's too loud and get someone in to measure the noise level. If you don't do this, then you, you may have workers that continue to grumble and allow an issue to fester. So alternatively though, you may decide to just go ahead and assume it is too noisy, therefore it is significant, and you get on to working out the controls. This may prove more costly as your judgment may be incorrect. You may be putting in controls that you don't need to, and these cost money, and that's taking money away from managing other health and safety issues. And also, you may be over-controlling the hazard. For the noise, it may just be a little bit too loud, so you may not need the complete grade 5 air defenders, you may need just a lower level grade two. And grade two, you know, you can communicate with your workers, you can hear warning alarms. So grade fives may introduce actually uh, more issues than, than it was worth. So in this case, your team decide that they're going to get somebody in. And I would recommend that you always do that baseline with some scientific data. Measure if you have a problem. That way you can justify any cost or not spending any money on certain areas to, to your employees. What if you're dealing with a chemical hazard? Let's say an employee noted that dyes could be the hazard from a printing press. The team then started looking for information once again and found there was a whole document from the Department of Labor on the hazards around a, a printing press. Dyes can contain solvents that can cause long-term damage, but the document also talked about cleaning chemicals as well. The great thing about this type of research is that you might find the bulk of the work has been done for you, and all you need to do is action the recommendations. And conversely, if you decide not to action the recommendations, you need to document why. Because if things go wrong and you're investigated, They'll be asking you, why did you not put in what was known good practice? If you've got good reason, you know, you might have a leading edge solution, then just make sure you document why you're not following sort of recommendations. So then let's, the next step is to look at the actual chemicals you are using within this printing press example. And let's say you find isopropyl alcohol is a chemical that you're using. Can it hurt you? How much? How are you going to find this out? Well, this information can come directly from your suppliers in the form of a safety data sheet. 
basically uh, all suppliers are required to give you information about the chemicals that they're providing and in New Zealand it's done in the form of this format called a safety data sheet. On it, it's fantastic. On it, it'll have the, the chemical, the, uh, the supplier obviously, the types of body parts it can affect, if it is a significant hazard, what to do in emergency, how to administer first aid. And in this case, let's say you're reading through the isopropyl alcohol, you, you say, okay, it is a significant hazard. Okay, we can annotate, yes, it is a significant hazard. And then you've actually got your controls already in place to go. For any particular hazard that you will come across, there is ample information on the internet describing how to deal with that particular hazard. You know, we are in the information age today, and, um, you know, the whole saying information is power, I sort of don't agree with that because we all have information at our fingertips, but the gaps between the rich and the poor, for example, uh, is getting larger. So it's not information, it's actioning information. That's where the power comes from. So with that in mind, I'm trying to get you to take manageable action steps, and that's where we're leading into the action steps right now. Remember, what we want to do is be, to be able to answer this question. Are the hazards significant? And here's what you need to do. Transfer all the hazards from the hazard ID form to the hazard register. Annotate if a hazard is significant by, within your task or job or process or trade or industry, determine if this hazard has resulted or has the potential to result in serious harm. Check the Department of Labor website. Use safety data sheets. Call in external consultants if you need to baseline and measure to confirm whether you do have a hazard. Right now, please take the time to work through your hazard register and annotate which hazards are significant. From there, we're going to move on to the next chapter and work out how to control them. This has been another episode on workplace safety by Tony Collins. For more tips, visit safetyhub.co.nz and join the free newsletter.